This is one of my favorite times. It's time for Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark's AME Church and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I make are solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Now I'm Don Eubanks, associate with Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the other media group and producer of Counter Stories. So we have the full crew here, and, and it's and as we record this, we it is uh, before the new year. This is a special episode of Counter Stories. Stick around for a bonus conversation about the Potter verdict. In that new year vein, there are things that we tend to hope for, we, things that we tend to think about how we want the next year to be or be different. And so we want to bring everybody together to say, what are you hoping for in 2022? Given all of that we've been through this last year, I know that there are many things that may be on your mind. Um, And we weighed in um, and and put this question out to the community and got a few responses in that we may include in our discussion. But but Counter Stories crew, what are you hoping for in 2022? And I did not mean to make that rhyme. You're that good, though. (laughs) (laughs) It just just happens with you. Um, I've got a few things, um, and I'll start off. um, Climate change. In 2021, what was amazing was to see all these young people come out globally and, of course, across our country against climate uh, change and really holding elected leaders accountable uh, very loudly. And who else but to do that, right? I mean, we all have a responsibility no matter how old we are, but to see young people really taking that on and owning that, I thought uh, was really powerful. And it gives me hope coming into 2022, <clears throat> excuse me, as we continue to see and witness all of these very unusual weather patterns that are clear indicators that climate change is real and that it's so sad to begin to think about what the world will look like 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, when these young folks are either in their prime or moving along in their journey in life, right? What is What will be left behind? Um, and really wanting to have that fierce urgency of now uh, for policymakers to act. So I am hopeful on that ground. Another point that gives me hope is young people helping break the stigma around mental health. Uh, There's been so much activity because of COVID, I think, uh, 19 with the pandemic and isolation. So many people have had, of course, mental health concerns, but more importantly, they're coming out uh, with their stories on TikTok and Instagram. Not that I follow them, but I read and I'm told by my two younger daughters about how uh, folks are framing it in a positive way. They're not ashamed to say that they're seeing a therapist or their friends are seeing a therapist or they're all seeing therapists. And then, of course, the quintessential example is Simone Biles when she went through the Olympics and was uh, facing some mental health concerns and her just putting it all out there as this world-class athlete and calling it out and and having then other athletes beginning to support her and then being ultimately selected as the athlete of the year by Sports Illustrated, which was just amazing. Um, There's two more. Uh, Young people helping build trust in vaccines locally and globally, Uh, just seeing and witnessing young people who are really calling it out in terms of what really matters and encouraging folks to step up for the vaccines uh, and making sure that we have a safer community. And then the fourth thing that gives me hope is Amanda Gorman's writings and um, poems. And she issued one earlier this month in December entitled New Day's Lyric. And if I can, I'd like to read it. It's a very short, it's only uh, 48 lines uh, resolution. And it's just so powerful. Um, What was cursed we will cure what was plagued. We will prove pure what we tend to argue. We will try to agree those fortunes. We foreswore now the future we foresee 
where we weren't aware, we're now awake. Those moments we missed are now these moments we make. The moments we meet and our hearts once all together beaten, now all together beat. It's just a very powerful set of lyrics that hopefully guides us all as we look to 2022. You know, Luce, uh, one of the pieces on your list in particular to the vaccine really resonated with some of the messages that I received um, in the call that Hlee put out um, around today's episode. Um, it, it makes me think of the, the power of those poems, right? How we come together. Miss um, Romalita, um, who comes to us from the Hopi Reds, so Third Mesa in Arizona, um, says that one of her hopes uh, for this coming year is that folks will finally wake up and see that we're in this together that her family matters to her. And as much as my family matters to me, I want my family to matter to others as well. So far, as good as I've gone COVID-free, even after having one family member testing positive in the household and several others who have died, I have to think to my two grandbabies under two and a half, their mama, a granddaughter under 12, and four elderly parents-in-law who also mean the world to me. And I wish they would mean the world to others as well. That's one of her hopes for 2022. There's a lot on that list. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's folks who are, who, are, who are reaching out and I think it would resonate that hope for 2022. One major one is that we'll actually start to think about each other in a way that goes beyond just ourselves and what we can box our own kind of cultural, political views around. So there's, there's some, some co-signing with some of the folks who weighed in. It's beautiful. Yep. Luz just, I mean, yeah, just no, dropped a yeah. poem from one of the poets of the, of the age. So yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, I mean, what are the, you know, how realistic, real, like, you know, is that? Are people actually figuring out how to care for each other? Right. And, and you know, climate change. Like, how fast are the people who actually have power to make large-scale change going to actually start giving a about it? Right. Well, that's that actually. I mean, mental mental health. I mean, yeah, people are starting to to you know be public and say check on your mental health, see a therapist. But you know, I was just inquiring about a therapy session with a specialist, and it's two hundred and eighty dollars an hour. Uh, I can't oh. afford that. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I, you know, if she doesn't take insurance, I mean, it's like you know, who who can afford it? So it's. Yeah, it's great, but we don't have universal health care. And it, it, it doesn't, you know, I mean, I understand, like, I think it's great that we hope for these things, but that's different, right, than being near it, actually being able to, to see it being realized. Yeah, to your point, Haley, I mean, clearly so much of this will not happen overnight. I think about when Colin Kaepernick first took the knee in 2016, and feeling that when are we going to see change? And it changed slowly but surely is starting to turn the corner, right? We're starting to see some change with regard to the framing of Black Lives Matter has 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 turned, right? Uh, but also the impact that the protests have had with regard to social unrest and law enforcement. Uh, and I'll I'll leave that high level, and I know that the crew is going to be having a discussion later on, and I I will buy bow out on that. <laughs> but there are articles already and studies that show that the number of killings um, of unarmed civilians, most particularly of course uh, black men and and women and children, uh, is on the decline as a result of the protests uh, that have occurred in the last you know five years or so. So. To your point, Haley, I know it's not an overnight type of result and outcome that we want, but we have to keep fighting for what we need uh, to make our society a better place. Well, this is why I need you in my life, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, 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 and keep in mind, right, because we, we, send that we, we can often fall into a single definition for hope, right? We're not talking about you know, we, we can be talking about the big grand picture change, but I'm just thinking about in this next year, what are some things I want to see happen? What I want to, you know, 
push into fruition in some way, whether it's big and, and looming or whether it's small. Um, I look at the message in responsefully. My, my daughter is actually one of the folks who sent in a message. And, um, you know, she had a particular thing. She said, in addition to hoping that COVID can be over, she also said that I hope that Kimberly Potter gets a, a sentence that, that we see justice done in that regard. She, you know, we have young folks who are weighing in and saying, and, and are, are waking up and activating. That was on my list of hopes, that we would see young people getting engaged in ways that they hadn't before. That's something I can absolutely see evidence for. So, so let's make sure we use, you know, as we think about this example, this, this, this question, let's think about short-term, near-term, long-term, and let's not be limited to what we think can happen, you know, because some of the best ideas have come out of spaces where somebody says, I wish the world looked like this. And then somebody might hear that and make traction around that. So, so you know, it, I, to me, it can go small scale, large scale, you know, whatever it is. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's real. Like I can, I can find something to be hopeful for, even in the midst of all the crap that's happening around me that's that's part of my cultural upbringing like that's that's kind of how we, how we do that's why we had that conversation with with uh, the the NPR researcher folks around the concept of hope in Minnesota that you question might need some nuance to it because somebody may give you an answer even though they have a long list of things that ain't going really hopeful right now too well as Reverend Jesse Jackson said what in late 1980s when he was running for U.S. president, keep hope alive, right? And that ended up being something that he just kept cementing in people's minds that mm. while we wouldn't see change overnight, keep hope alive 24-7 that get us there. Anthony, remind us how old your daughter is because I think oh, I, I have a sense. Of, well, yeah, I was going to say she's very young and I think our listeners would be really impressed. Mm. So she is. She's, she's, she's 11. She's absolutely 11. Um, Don, I'm curious what's, what's coming over your head as you think about what, what you hope to see in 2022. So, you know, you've, you've touched on, you've already touched on, I guess for me, the, one of the, um, issues and, and that's, uh, COVID and, and hoping that, uh, we can begin to think about each other, um, and what that means. Cause it's kind of sad, you know, it, I was sitting here listening to you guys talking and I've been retired now coming up on about a half a year. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad cause you know, you work, you work most of your entire, your life, you know, when you start working. And I started when I was 15 and you look forward to being able to retire and I'm a social animal. I'm, I'm not an introvert at all. I, I like to get out. I like to mingle socially. I like to be around people. Um, I like to go out and eat. I like to go to the parks. Um, and you know, um, I'm looking forward to enjoying my retirement and I really can't do that right now because of the atmosphere, because of, uh, you know, we have this new variant, um, just as we, just as it seems like we might be easing out of this, then it morphs, it changes, which is what, uh, viruses do. And, um, and then we find ourselves now with rising cases. Uh, they're saying, they're saying one in 20 individuals will have Omicron. I mean, and so, <laughs> and, so it's like, you know, I haven't been able to leave the house. It's winter time. It's cold. The days are shorter. You know, we have these, um, short days, long nights. Um, I suffer for, like everyone else when the nights get longer and the, and the sunshine isn't out as much. It, it affects your mood. It affects your, and when you're stuck in the house. So for me, it's, I'm hoping that 2022 allows us to be able to come back together. And, and really, I mean, you know, come back together where we can go out and we can, we can uh, engage with others, um, uh, outside of this pandemic. I mean, so, so for me, it's, it's just simple. I want to be able to enjoy my retirement. Hey, and that's, that's, that's real, that's real talk. That's yeah. real talk. <laughs> so you're talking about really freedom, right? Point. You just want right. the freedom to do what you had been accustomed to doing pre-COVID. 
you want to be able to have the mobility, the accessibility, and all that stuff. And and it's it's hard that you know that um, can't really do that. You know, you just you 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 can't do that. I mean, I'm still shocked. Uh, I had to my um, yesterday. You know, for me to get out means to hop in my car and take a 15 minute drive nowhere, but just just to get out of the house. And on my way back, I passed um, a van that that uh, had the name of a facility that's right down the street from where I live. And I passed this this van, and uh, but we both turned at the same street. And I'm as I'm coming home, and I notice in my rearview mirror that that they didn't turn about a block. You know, they didn't turn where they should have turned. In fact. They followed me all the way to my home. So my, I put my car in the garage and I get out and the, the van is sitting at the end of my driveway. And so I walked to the driveway and I, I looked at the guy and he, he rolled his window down. He said, your rear brake light is out. So he followed me two blocks past where he works just to let me know my rear brake light was out. That interaction, the most interaction I've mm. had mm. with someone, <laughs> but the fact that he was kind enough to just follow me home to tell me wow. my brake light made brightened my day. So you know what I mean? Just a simple act like that. I have the opposite experience. <laughs> <laughs> of course I, you do. Of course I you know, do. Hey? I know. I, I'm like Wait. you, Don. I'm like you, Don. I, I don't leave the house unless I absolutely need to. So I'm going to the grocery store. The second I get out on the streets here on the east side, some, you know, I'm, some bad word here. Insert bad word. <laughs> some bozo. Uh, Just call him a some, bozo. Okay. I couldn't think of a word that I could say on the radio. Some bozo um, <laughs> comes up, decides to drive down the center turn lane, you know, going 40 above speed limit just so he can make it to the red light before me and everybody else before me. You know what I mean? He's just decided that wherever he needs to be is more important than where everybody else needs to be. And he's just going to drive like a crazy person in all of this snow. Mm. So I'm like, immediately, I regret leaving the house already. Because mm. I'm just not as social. So I go to get my groceries. I come home. You know, I'm unloading my car. I open the door. My dog comes out. She's in the yard relieving herself as I'm unloading my car. Some Karen walks down the streets and starts telling me how I should, uh, you know, leash her even when I'm walking to my car to get my groceries. Because wow. literally, because my dog could at any minute decide to attack this woman who's across the street from my house, not even near my home. And I was just like... It took everything in me to pretend like I could not hear her. It took mm. everything in me to not turn around and just get in her face and be like, Karen, don't you effing tell me how to take care of my dog. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just like I went out in public and I immediately regretted it. Mm. Well, <laughs> but Don, I try, Don, I try I to was, be like that guy who followed you, right? So I, I was like, I went to, I went to a restaurant, I went to a restaurant and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for the people ahead of me because it was like a takeout thing. Right. So I was like, mm. I'm going to pay for the people behind me. I mean, I'm going to pay for the people behind me. So then I was waiting for them to go up in order. And they ordered like five trays of meat. There's just like pure meat for some event. And I was like, I can't, well, I can't actually, you know? So then I'm like, let, good let me second like, guess that, that feel like good exactly. <laughs> Maybe the folks behind them. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought this me... nice older couple, I was going to help them out. And... Go ahead, so, Luz. <laughs> going back to Don's story, I... I was, I'm sorry, with all the carjackings that are going on around, no, that's the went up too. last <laughs> thing I would have thought about. I would not have walked over to the van, first and foremost. So yeah, kudos to yeah. you for doing that. Yeah. And then secondly, you know, I'd be like, this is private property. What are you doing up in my driveway, right? Hey, I mean, 
this would not have gone the same way. same way. Let me put this in context. Van was the wrong word. It's it was one of those mini buses. What the what? It's an it's an official. Yeah, I mean vehicle. exactly, okay. and it's one that's used. I see it all the time, and literally, this facility is is two blocks from where I live. And when I saw the name on the back of the the bus or on the side of the bus, I knew exactly where they were going, and which is a you know a block block or two from where I live. What surprised me is that he didn't turn, and he followed me to the end of my driveway. It didn't freak me out because this is this is a f- facility bus for for a um, a place for um, elder folks. So so six years ago, this is what came to my mind. Six years ago, on Thanksgiving Eve, I was working for the for an employer in the city of St. Paul, and I thought, okay, I'm going to run over to Costco. During my lunch hour. So I am on the expressway. And I always, um, I had to practice when I was on the expressway in the past to put my cruise control because it kept me honest. I knew I wasn't going to speak <laughs> as a result of that, right? So um, I, it's a, a Mercedes 320 ML. So it's a nice vehicle. I'm driving and my exit is coming up. But my brakes, I go to, to disengage the cruise control and it won't disengage. And I'm going, you know, 55 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not good uh, because uh, the cruise control won't disengage. So long story short, I ended up uh, braking with both feet and then shifting to park. And my car almost flipped because it still would not disengage the cruise control. It was still going 50 mi- 55 miles an hour. Um, so finally it disengages. Uh, cars stopped. And, you know, my heart is pounding out of my chest thinking, oh, my gosh, I just skipped, you know, and, and avoided this big accident and, and I am safe. So after a few minutes, I turn my vehicle back on. I try to, but it won't. It's just completely dead. So now I have to get on my vehicle, walk to the exit and find the nearest um, gas station so then I can get the tow truck to come. I didn't want to sit at, at on the shoulder for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was pretty mild outside. It wasn't, it wasn't cold. So I start walking and a van, a windowless van, a white van pulls over. <laughs> hey, can I give you a ride? And I'm like, and it was a guy by himself. And I'm like, no, thank you. Well, what's wrong with you? You don't want to No, I'm not coming in the van with you. Right. Uh-huh. So he, he takes off. The next vehicle was a um, station wagon and the guy is wearing shorts in November. Hey, I'll give you a ride. Hop on in. Nope. Is that your car back there? <laughs> yes. Come on in. I'm not going. So then he curses me for not getting in the car. The third vehicle that comes up is another van, but this van had windows. Same experience. Hey, jump on in. Is that your car? In the- yes, it is. Jump on in. I'll give you a ride. I'm not, I'm not crawling into a car with a, str- a stranger, right? Um so that those were the the scenarios that came up in my mind. Um, yeah, done, it's very different you know? for for women. For women, very much yeah, so. it was like very mm-hmm. different. My <laughs> friend just had that experience where she was stuck kind of in a rural area and her phone died, and so she couldn't find her way out. And this gentleman came up and he seemed friendly enough, you know, but he kept saying his house was around the corner, and she could go with him and charge her phone there. See, and no matter how much he tried, and he kept coming back and asking her, and she was like, maybe he was just some well-meaning dude, but like, who knows, you know? It, it might just be the summer family ship shipments to the country for me, uh, <laughs> but like that's 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 some Hinton, West Virginia, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it had been a Mississippi kind of stuff, like. <laughs> But but it might have been different if 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 somebody different you know you know comes comes in there. But those are some of the anxieties that were coming up just on hearing what you what you brought up, Don. And I think that's that speaks right. to something in 2022 that's on my hope list is that um, we can actually start to deal with some of these um, realities that we have not been willing to address. That Don, your experience can see an official vehicle show up and not have in in in. And and be able to tell that story, and it doesn't trigger all of these anxieties. You you told that story, and and it makes sense. Official vehicle, 
you know, pulls up, you know, you're, you're thinking of a distant situation. In addition to the fact that, Don, the moment you stand up out your car, I'm sorry, I used to hang out with jackers and stuff like that. They ain't, they, they gonna stop in their tracks and they see your tall linebacker looking <laughs> self come out your, out your car. <laughs> so we got that benefit. But, but I just think it's interesting that it, it raised, you know, my thought when you, as soon as you said following you was like, oh man, is this a case of somebody trying to take it into their own hands? Um, mm-hmm. You know, thankfully it, thankfully it was the community version of the story that was hoping for. But, but you see the two women on, 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 on the, on the call, you know, share some anxiety coming up. My hope for 2022 is that we begin to actually have some of the dialogue around these different anxieties that rise up, whether it's something, you know, you know, simple as what we just experienced here or some of the deeper things we have been willing to live lives that um, are comfortable or, or, or with this assumption or delusion that somehow things aren't going to change. And so we want to conserve this, this little bubble of prosperity that I might, have, I might have experienced when that's just not how the way the world works. The world changes. And we've had things that we've written in stone that can't change forever. And the one example that, that, that's clear for me and my wish list is in 2022 that we continue this movement of folks reevaluating their worth. The, the, the great resignation, as people are coining it, um, I see us not having addressed the fact that many of the businesses that we have out here have been successful not just because they have a good idea or a good business plan or sound business practice, but that we've been able to pay folks so low and let that standard be the case completely socially engineered. Not based on what folks, now that folks are getting to a space of not being willing to work for things that don't support families, now we see some of these businesses, we see some of the businesses who, you know, some some who are, you know, hit because it's a pandemic, but we see some businesses who have been built on paying folks low wages. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that come to roost. And so I think this season is bringing some chickens home to roost uh, in a way that are forcing us to reevaluate what what real business or what good solid business practice looks like. And I think that's not the only area that needs to be revisited. We have enshrined things that we just have not been willing to change because we we have this this utopic notion and that's not how reality works. And so I want to see that trend continue. You know, um the what what Luz brought up, what Luz and Hale brought up about the incident that happened to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I know we're talking about hope, but that that saddens me. And even though your comment was funny, um, Anthony, the flip side to that, however, is that there are people when they see me, if I was to get out of my car, that would be frightened. And right. And so and and when I think about, you know, um, the reaction from Luz and Haley, that saddens me because as a male, in a situation like that, right, right, what do you do? What what mm. do you do? All right, you see, you see someone disabled on the side of the highway, and I immediately would like to try to help, but I'm a male, it's a female, and then how? So how do you do that? I mean, maybe you offer, maybe you offer to call somebody. Well. I've been in that situation, Don, specifically, and I saw, and I, because of their story, I was able to make a different approach because of, you know, knowing. But what story. I'm trying to get at is that's where we're at, Yeah, where I have to second guess how I say, or even if I attempt to try to help without it being misconstrued. And, and it's sad that our society is at a point where where we have to consciously think about that. I mean, and and so you know, I can really feel for Luz and for and for uh, Haley and for women in this world who who are find themselves in that situation. Um, and but then on the flip side of that, um, I know what it's like to be standing on a corner and then have a car drive by and then all of a sudden they lock their doors. And so, you know, it, it, there's, there's that flip side. And so, um, and, and for me, I'm, you know, it's not anything that we, I think about all the time or whatever, but I'm just hoping there's a day where, where we, again, besides just COVID that we come together as a society where those kind of things, um, 
you know, I guess they're here. We always have to kind of deal with it. But I really, I really hope we can get to a place where we can help one another and be with one another without that innate fear of the other, if that makes any sense. And, and I'm glad that you say that because that doesn't exist everywhere. You know, it, it, this is this, we're talking about this in a geo, geo specific location, but I have been to, to many other places, especially in places in this country and in other, in, in, in elsewhere where, where I haven't had to worry about the same level of concerns for safety that I have here, which is interesting. It's causing a dissonance for me because to be in the middle of, say, for example, the Eastern Cape in South Africa and be in a similar situation and have no qualms with the folks around me and end up like just, you know, like a kind of almost like a leaf in the wind ending up with communities of folks whose hospitality met me in my time of need. And I was able to be of service when it came, came back around and there wasn't even a question around safety, which is different for me than it would have been for somebody else in a different situation. And so, you know, I think, I think those are important conversations to have and put onto the table and, and, and not just, not just to, to have talked about it, but to get to some, some, uh, some agreement. And so I, I, I co-sign that all, all day. Luz, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're good. You're good. Don, I appreciate your comments and, and Anthony as well. Um, I remember my husband and I had traveled to Singapore probably four years ago. And I was amazed, just completely in awe about how different it is to be a woman in Singapore versus here in the States. And the big difference was that men do not catcall women at all. And women are not afraid. Uh, My friend at that point uh, was, um, he was with the uh, Mexican consulate. And I said to him, look, am I Am I seeing this right? I mean, I we we rode the public transportation everywhere, which is their uh, subway, for lack of a better word. Not only is it immaculately clean, but men were not jeering or catcalling women at all, not even checking. I mean, it was just a completely different type of experience. And I mentioned that to him, and he said that's because of the laws here in Singapore. They're they're very strict with regard to consequences of any type of sexual assault on women. And he said, look, a woman can go running at 2.30 in the morning in a park and not fear for her safety. Uh And it was just amazing to me, right? And we talked about that a lot. And I experienced that there. And I said to my husband, it was such a surreal feeling. But And what it tells me is that it is possible, right? It is possible, to your point, Anthony, to live in a society where women are not constantly objectified. They're not being preyed upon. Uh, and they're not in fear for, for who they are as a woman. Well, I was just saying you also lift seem to be lifting up there because I heard what you said about the accountability part, like societally, they oh, agree yeah. that, they, that, that the consequences of you acting a fool with that male BS is, yep. is, 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 it's not going to leave you whole at the end. And so I think, you know, I love, I love that there's the affirmative side to it. And I definitely hear that from friends of mine from Singapore, um, in different parts of the country as well, but that there's also that deterrent that's very strong there and it's societally accepted. It reminds me of, um, talking to some of my friends who do some work in Brazil and in their, uh, system they have a, a, a very different system. You go to jail in some of these places, and it's an open setting. It's not a individual celled setting. The only folks that they have to worry about actually locking up. Now this is a generalization, so let me rephrase that. But one of the folks that have to actually be on guard is because societally, you know, folks who are who are are child molesters or have assault sexually assault sexually assaulted folks. Um, are looked at societally in a very different way, right? We have to come to grips with the fact that part of our condition that you all have described is because we as a society have not held accountable the perpetrators. And because we don't hold the perpetrators accountable for this, um, well, let me take that back because we've talked about this. We hold certain perpetrators from certain communities mm-hmm. accountable, there you go. but not mm-hmm. others, there right? So if we actually had that widespread accountability in a different way, we would have a different experience on the ground. And so I think that's an important discussion that I hope begins to happen in 2022 as well. This is a special episode of Counter Stories. Stick around for a bonus conversation about the Potter verdict. Just think about 
your daughters, right? You and Don both have daughters and your wives. I mean, think about their safety. Think about every woman who you know and the fear that they have every time there there is some type of unusual activity around them that puts them in fear. And your gut tells you when you feel that fear, right? And I've watched different segments with security experts that say, you got to trust that gut feeling as a woman. And if, if you're feeling some kind of way, then you need to remove yourself from that situation and not mm-hmm. fear that you're going to offend somebody, right? That's not about, you know, in Don's situation, me thinking about, oh, I'm going to f- offend the, the driver of that van if I don't go talk to him. I'm just about, uh-uh, I'm going into my safe place, <laughs> you know, much like what I did with those guys um, who were stopping, you know, to try to help me. I didn't have my phone. So, Anthony, I appreciate you saying I would have just, you know, called for help because I that one day that you don't have your phone, I ran out of my office without it. Right. Mm-hmm. And feeling even more vulnerable because you don't even have that as a as a tool to help you. Right. But mm-hmm. thinking about just going back to the original point of women constantly having this sense of fear wherever we go. And and that's an, I think this is a very important you know, exchange here, right? My understanding of the experiences of my aunts, I have a, I have a lot of women who have been part of raising me and my knucklehead self. And one of the things that, that I have then adopted then is I can now in a, in a way that was different before, right? I have a greater consciousness around, you know, what does that play in that situation? So you, you mentioned that one person cussing you out from not taking their help. Like, like how, how much have we invested in, in our own patriarchal space that I now can turn around and curse you out for not accepting my help because I want to ignore the past experiences that you're, you know, that, that, that women are, 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 are responding to in those, in those situations. So now I'm in a space where I can read what that is. And now I can start thinking about, okay, what is my alternative list to still be able to meet my need to help, right? My raised call to help in, in, in this situation and the experience of trauma that is, that is helping you keep the fences up. Can I, and now I, can I call an Uber? Can I say, you know what, you know, uh, this is a place to be up here. You know, the fact that you're walking on the street, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, hold traffic back a little bit, you know, even if, you know, just so that you can get around and onto a safe place to walk. Like there, there's now I'm negotiating a different, different level of consciousness. This is, is something that comes when we have, when I learn your story and actually then start to apply, what can a greater consciousness look like? That's one of my hopes for 2022. And let me say this to your point about my daughter and Don, I'm going to extend this to you too. You know, um, I say this as reverently as possible as a man of the cloth, okay? When it comes to my daughter and it comes to any of my children, try Jesus, don't try me because I fight. <laughs> try Jesus, don't try me because I throw hands, uh. all right? I will, I, I will take a jail sentence over the safety of my children any day. So let me just make that clear. I was going to say my hope when you were, when you were uh, ending your statement before that is that we have a lot more Anthony Galloways out in the world because um, well, because we I need, had you know I got folks like Don Eubanks and and, and and other big brothers who who you know have 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 thought through this and and teach some strength of character in a way that makes that and it's not just specific to women but anybody in need right I have that character mm-hmm. in there because of the big brothers who raised me in community and I hear that part being part of what y'all have both said you hope for twenty twenty two. Um, I actually had a guy follow me home once to yell at me. Mm. You know, so I was very scared because um, he followed me home and he pulled up and he was like, why did you cut me off? Oh. And I was like, I didn't see you. And he's like, oh, like, like, really? You followed me to my, my house? Like when you someone follows me to my home, I, I get really scared. You know, what? so... Even if someone followed me and told me my light was out, I'd like run from my car to my house and just like not talk to them. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, 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 you're making my pre-pastor self come up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, I know uh, I'm supposed to, go, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Yeah. And, you know, there was... um. Before my husband now, I was dating this uh, Mexican guy um, who had previously been involved with gangs. So he looked a certain way. 
and we were downtown St. Paul and we were watching the fireworks and, um, you know, on July 4th. And as we were walking home, we noticed this white girl and she was crying and he, you know, he said to me, you know, oh, she looks like she's in distress, you know. So I walked over and I asked her, are you okay? And she said, well, she was here from out of town with some, with some friends. They're staying at some Airbnb on Summit Hill and her friends ditched her. Um, and she's really scared and she doesn't know what to do. She has set the up. address. It's a setup. <laughs> she, you know, she had an address of where it was or whatever. And so I said, would you like for us to give you a ride? And so she said, okay. And so she's following us to our car. And my boyfriend says to me, he says, you know, I was going to offer it, but I know what I look like and I know what she would have thought. And so I was just going to have to let it go. And so he understood that she would have immediately said no to him. This is before the movie Get Out? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) First thing we did when we both got, when the three of us got in the car, literally he said at the same time she said, please don't kill me. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. We shut the door and they looked at each other and they said, please don't kill me. And then we left about it. We dropped her off. And we <laughs> but it was really, you know, it was really, I felt like it was really mature of him to understand, you know, that what had happened in his past and what, you know, the effect of what that may look like now and the way he still dresses, you know, um, that. Uh, some white girl crying in downtown St. Paul who was staying up on Summit Hill was not going to be wanting a ride from him. And so he understood he was just going to have to let this one go. And, you know, she was just not, you know, maybe she wouldn't get help tonight, but it, it was just not going to ha- happen from him. You know, and th- even though he was taught, like, he should be, you know, chivalrous and everything and help a person in need, he was just like, I'm going to have to let this go and accept that. To, okay, Haley, that just reminded me of another story. And I know we're, we're off topic, but this, <laughs> this will help level set kind of the stereotypes that are out there, right? So I grew up inner city Chicago in the barrio. And um, I had family members who, you know, were, 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 were not uh, straight and narrow all the time. I'll just say that. <laughs> so it's a summer evening. I'm heading home walking uh, as a teenager. And so this was a bit ago. Uh, and I see a guy following me and I think, is he really following me? And I would go into one storefront and come out and and he would stay back and then continue to follow me again. And I thought, I'm not going inside my house because then he's going to know where I live. And so there were three guys who I never met and they were walking in a group And I just walked up to them and I said, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. But that guy is really freaking me out. And I pointed and I said, I just need to be safe. Will you guys walk with me for half a block just so that he can see I'm not by myself? And they said, not only will we do that, but we're going to go over there and mess with him now. (laughs) To your point, (laughs) Anthony. Um, And the minute they started crossing the street, you know, to go at him, the guy ran away. Uh, they, he figured out, you know, what was going to happen. And I was, of course, really young. I was nervous. I was shaking. And they said, you know, do you want me to do you want us to walk you to your house? And I thought, well, now you guys will know where I live. So right. I don't want you right. to walk me exactly. to my house. <laughs> I just want to get rid of this one guy who was following me. Right. Um, and so long story short, they were they were very chivalrous. Uh, they were three young Latinos who otherwise would have been, you know, stereotyped by society, like don't even talk to them because of how they quote unquote look Mm -hmm. with their tattoos and things on their neck. Cause you got that hood justice. Look, look. Yeah, there you go. But this is, this is to me important. I think it's an important distinction in the, in the, in the question of chivalry. And I, and I do think that all of this is tied to 2022 because what we're talking about are these things that we have begun to normalize in society as ways of being. And we're moving further, closer and closer to a space where folks are starting to say, no, this ain't okay. And, and, and to your point, uh, uh, Luce, I, I, I love that because I grew up in a community like that. I grew up, you know, where, where if, 
we may it may be hard some folks we may bust we bust jokes hard but if somebody actually was going to endanger me in many of the neighborhoods I grew up in that community was not going to allow that to happen there was going to be a consequence right and some of that had to be letting folks know what you are risking by doing this behavior that's going to cause harm to somebody in the community or the community itself let's say it as eloquently as possible um i think in 2022, one of my hopes is that people get the natural consequences of their actions, whether that is laws that are done more equitably and visited more equitably, um, but also to, to have folks understand that if I continue to act in, in these ways that are destructive to communities, particularly communities of color and the people within, I'm starting to see now, um, especially in the state of Minnesota, that um, your consequences, your actions are going to have consequences that hasn't been present historically for certain communities. And while we're going, getting there slowly and, and, it's in, and the data's coming around late, I'm starting to see that shift happen. And I would love to see folks, you know, second guess. You know what? I could go and I can mess with those folks over there. I can show up like a Karen. But there's going to be a consequence to me continuing this behavior um, white body supremacist behavior that has continued to be present with us throughout history. And, and that's something that I'm actually, I want to, I, I want to see that continue to grow because then we get to walk around like, like you described loose women in Singapore being able to walk around. And that is to walk around without being accosted by the injustice that many of other, other folks have faced. Clee, you said you had a comment for somebody who, uh, had less than a hopeful, <laughs> Yeah, we, we got a comment um, by someone online who said, I just met a friend who's got a saying, it could have been worse. But I have a question. What made you not hopeful for 2022? It may be COVID for the U.S. residents as we are all struggling with the pandemic. We got other people who are struggling with other difficulties and they found hope here in the U.S. And of course, with the start of 2022, as they got resettled here, I'm just saying... I don't want to compare situations, but yes, definitely people are hopeful and hopeless considering their own situation, which is right too. I mean, obviously, yes, I'm not comparing myself, my situation to anybody's situation because it could definitely be be worse for somebody else. There's always somebody worse off than you. And there's always somebody not as worse off as than you. Mm. Um, but, you know, and there's, you know, there's somebody who may seem not as worse off than, than you, but are in their own capacity. So, you know, Lou, uh, Lee, you've you've you're, you hit on something that I think we've talked about a couple of different times. You know, the 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 most recent time this has come up, Don, I think you had a, a comment talking about how we conflate, you know, when you were talking, you would talk to your your classes and, and help them to not conflate certain things. And I would, I would really hope that folks don't conflate hopelessness with the call for accountability, which are very, very different things. I would, I would be hard pressed to find any of my fam, anyone in my family who would register, and even in community space, who would not be able to register something that they would be hopeful about. That's very different than calling out uh, the things that we have the capacity to change and just refuse to because we like to pass the buck down the line and say, well, somebody else has it better, so I'm not going to work on this issue that you're calling up. So so for me, you know, I, I really hope that we, we in 2022, that we get a little bit more, more better about the way that we conflate certain things in order to, you know, keep, you know, in order to not work on stuff. And the way that we try to simplify things. Mm. Um, you know, there's just, I, I feel like there's the, the need to, to simplify a lot of these issues like healthcare, right? It's never just one issue. Everything is connected to everything else. That's connected to economics and that's connected to the environment and that's connected to housing and that's, con you know, so there's a there's a, a man who wrote the book called I wrote a book called Adaptive Leadership. He talks about the fact that a lot of our biggest issues are bundled. It's not just one thing at a time. And so our responses or our solutions have to be bundled as well. It can't be exactly. one to one in a simple, simple fix. Yes. And the fact that as human beings, we're not monolithic. I right. mean, we have all of these dimensions that allow us to either function to our highest potential or not. 
And unfortunately, with the systemic barriers in our society with regard to education uh, and job availability, heck, to go back to Anthony's initial point about um, a, you know an entire sector, multiple sectors of our society who are underpaid and undervalued financially, but yet critically valued right now during the pandemic, you know, the frontline workers, the folks at the grocery stores, you know, the folks who are at the restaurants, the folks who are at the meatpacking plants, the um, farm workers across the country who are picking our produce on a daily basis and exposing themselves not only to COVID, but to uh, the pesticides that make it worse for them if the, and when they get COVID, right? There's an entire through line here that as a society, we have yet to fix and we have to fix that because otherwise, you know, we are in for our own demise when we can't begin to hold these other systems accountable. And we talk about systemic uh, barriers all the time in our, in our segments because it is so entrenched in capitalism uh, here in this country, uh, with the last example being the CDC rolling back the 10-day quarantine. So it's now only five days if you don't have symptoms so that, quote unquote, the society can go forward, which means that means workers have to get back into the job quicker, right? It means they don't get to rest the way others are if they are these essential workers having to produce all of these necessary goods for us in the supply chain. Um, so I'll stop there because well, I mean, it's, I can it's, go a, a long way on that one. That's an important point. You can't, you can't, you can't be out here championing the market, the market, let the market decide and then be mad when the market decides that your job is crappy. Like you, you, you have to accept, you, you just got to you deal with all of that. And folks are now realizing their power and saying, I'm, I, I don't have to work for that. I can actually consider my own stress level and happiness, which are health indicators of them of their own. Um, when I think about where I might want to work and if it's not attractive to me, I ain't going there. And so it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing. And again, it's another example of things that we have enshrined and thought we would never have to revisit. And that lack of thinking about this and paying attention to it is coming back to bite. It's chickens coming home to roost, um, to, to borrow that phrase. Well, Thank you all for for jumping in there. I know we walked into some areas. I hope that folks who are listening can actually see the connections that, um, you know, born of anxiety and the way things have been before. There's a general consensus across all of it that one of our hopes, that at least where I'm picking up, is that one of our hopes for 2022 is that things will be different and things will get addressed and that we'll continue to move along, that move that needle along. There's a tradition in the African-American community for watch night. It started in... 1862 in the expectation of the taking of effect of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And folks kept watch on that New Year's Eve to see that this would actually be real. I think we all are asking for our own version of Watch Night, where we hope that 2022 brings some of the hopes um, and starts to address some of the fears just like those folks in that community were hoping in 1862. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark's AME Church and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota, and any comments and opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Don Eubanks, associate with Dendros Group, a member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. All right, hold up. Before you leave, we wanted to talk about something big that just happened here in Minnesota. But in order to do that, we had to lose our sister, Luz Frias, who is the Deputy Attorney General of Minnesota. Um, we're going to be talking about matters that might uh, coincide with her job, and we want to make sure uh, that we protect her so she can keep doing her thing and uh, that we can get into what we want to be talking about here uh, fully. And then what we're going to be talking about is, of course, the verdict in the Kimberly Potter trial. This is the officer who has now been convicted uh, um, of being responsible for the death of Dante Wright. Um, in fact, the um, a prosecutor described Potter's actions as, uh, according to CNN, a tragic blunder born of recklessness or negligence, and the defense characterized the shooting as an honest mistake, not a crime. Of course, the jury 
um, took four days or 27 hours about uh, to deliver a guilty uh, verdict for all of the char- for the charges that were given for manslaughter and the killing of Dante Wright. So we have yet again in Minnesota law infest- law inf- a law enforcement um, official being held accountable for taking the life of an unarmed person. In our, and, and we've done it three times now here in the state of Minnesota. So what's coming up for you all as you said, what were you, where, what was coming up for you when you heard the verdict? I was, uh, I was scared. I was really scared. I didn't know which way it was going to go. You know, uh, they, the Tuesday of that week. So about two days before the announcement, the jury had come back to the judge and asked what would happen if they couldn't come to a conclusion so that really worried me. I know that everybody was trying to get home for the holidays, right? It was right before Christmas. So I thought, oh my gosh, are they just going to have a hung jury and we're going to have to go through this because everybody wants to get home to their families. So I was super, super and you guys know, because I was texting you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're going to announce it at this. There's a press conference here. And, you know, just, um, so I, I was surprised. I was, uh, I was happy though. I was happy, but, um surprised yeah don what was coming up for you as you listened to the verdict well i was um i have to admit this one uh surprised me a a little bit when you when you think of not that i didn't believe she shouldn't be held accountable i was surprised by the makeup of the jury that she was Mm -hmm. Because that jury consisted of six white men, three white women, two Asians, and one, I believe, black woman. And mm-hmm. so the fact that these six white males convicted her is what really surprised me. So it was, you know, it, it was with a, a mix of emotions because uh, how many, how many times have we been down this path, right? Um, your, your father-in-law posted something on social media, um, a a day, a day after the verdict, it basically kind of just saying that, that, you know, not following a lawful command is not a capital crime, Mm -hmm. is not capital pun, does not merit capital punishment, right? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of people still feel that, you know, they, 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 uh, characterize Dante as a thug, as a criminal. He wasn't, he didn't follow the orders. And, and, you know, so when I saw that, that comment by your father-in-law, it immediately, you know, my reaction to this situation again is it doesn't matter if we follow. It doesn't matter if we don't follow. Just ask Philandro Castile, right? He was following every command that was being given to him, and he still ended up dead. And that person was not held accountable. We had an incident where an older white male, a guy jumps to a cop, tries to get him while he's in his truck with his door open. He closes the door to his truck, traps the police officer's arm in his truck starts driving away. And as he's doing that, he hits the officer on the head with a hammer, assaults this individual, right? The officer frees himself. This individual was arrested, right? Mm -hmm. And was charged, found and, 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 uh, you know, was charged and, and, um, found guilty. But the fact that he was arrested, Right. Imagine that scenario involving a person of color. Would that, you know, and and unfortunately here in Minnesota, we have to ask ourselves, would that person have been arrested? And our data, but our data backs that up, Don, very specifically, like we, we for the same behavior, even if we were trying to control for the same behaviors, there's disproportionate levels of force used on people of color. I mean, it's just it's the data is so clear. And I don't know why that continues to be an arguing point, um, you know, in this, you know, folks, folks want to talk about individual situation to situation and people of color are trying to scream and, 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 and share like, look, look at the widespread disparity in the numbers, zoom out a little bit and look at, at the trend that's here. 
And I think that's an important point to, you know, that you bring up, Don, is that disproportional response is the crux of the issue. And folks aren't willing to address that. And, and in order to get around that, are trying to, you know, would try to do what I feel the defense did in here, which is, you know, to their credit, that's all you really can do in this, right? They had to prove that this was an unfortunate mistake. And that was the defense's take. But um, I think, you know, the, the prosecution, the prosecutor um, said, now, quote, accidents can still be crimes if they occur because of recklessness or culpable negligence. It's not a defense to the crimes charged. And so I think it's an important thing to think about that says an important message that that's being sent here. It says, look, you know, you're held to a high standard. And, you know, if you have the ability to take life, you have a higher level and threshold of 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 diligence and thought than everybody than, than the average Joe on the street. And you can be held accountable. You uh, got to know the difference between your handgun and your taser. <laughs> I'm sorry. And 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 they're you know and and the fact that that they came and asked to be able to hold that that officer's uh, handgun versus the taser you you can't be on the force for twenty seven years and not know the difference and and so I you know but um so yeah I was surprised second degree manslaughter I. I it was the first degree that really surprised me. Got right. It. And, and, um, uh, but the fact that a, a jury of her peers found her, mm-hmm. found her, um, guilty. And so, you know, I think that, you know, and we're tying this in with our previous conversation. So my hope is, I, I think, you know, one thing that I, I hope really happens is that there is actual reform that there is an actual reform because I think there was a, a, a big push and awareness. And then we, and, and then it, and then we ended up with whatever happened over there in Minneapolis with this last vote. And, and, uh, in terms of their efforts, current efforts to try to look at reformation. And, but I think that, you know, we still have an opportunity, not just in policing, but across the board um, in terms of how this impacts communities of color, American Indians and, and other people of color um, when it comes to um, unequal access to employment, jobs, you know, housing down the line. I, I, you know, my hope is that we're moving closer to that type of, of, of a scenario, you know, we, the, the other case that, uh, we didn't have a chance to really touch on a lot was, um, the one down in New Brunswick, Georgia with, uh, the, the Aubrey, Ahmaud, uh, right? The, the, those who, for the men who killed Ahmad Aubrey. Yeah. Who, who, who hunted this young man down and, and then tried to claim they were fearful of their lives, even though they're the only ones who are armed. And, um, and, and the fact that, you know, they were, they're being held accountable. The conviction of Travis McMichael, um, and his father, Gregory McMichael in the, in that case, um, was again, that, that happened right after we had heard the news of, of, um, the jury not finding Kyle Rittenhouse. Exactly. In, in the death that he caused. I say the death that he caused because of course, you know, it, it, uh, the way that our justice system is set up, he had been acquitted on culpability, you know, for that, for those, for those. But it's still his bullets that result in the death. You know, what we disagree on is is who's responsible for that. Um, but, uh, you know, for a while we were sitting with the space of going, oh, no, is this going to signal that folks can take the law into their own hands in all these different situations, including the false things that brought Rittenhouse to that protest in the first place and the false characterizations characterizations of protesters that he's being glorified for now um, was tempered by the fact that the jury found um, the uh, uh, McMichaels uh, convicted on all counts. And then of course to have Potter's child be convicted of her, her role that you, like it is now, at least in these in this precedence, it is now, you know, uh, demonstrated to community that that there is going to be consequence for taking the lives of of, of these people, um, and I think that's going to be very. T- I mean, at the same time, forward. it's not very consistent. 
I mean, we, we're, we're seeing some law enforcement people get, um, you know, held accountable. We're seeing some not, right? Breonna Taylor, right? right we're seeing right. Um, some folks who go on, on these, you know, vigilante type deal, deals, still a lot, most of them not be held accountable. Well, but uh, but sometimes but a you game do. change so, now because you have because now there's precedent, right? Before we didn't have the luxury of court precedent as another art, another tool in the arsenal to address these things. Now we do. I think that's a, it, it may be a small step, but it's a step for me. These are extreme cases, and this is the challenge that we always have. So these are extremely extreme and highly visible. In fact, in the um, McMichael trials, uh, the Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael trials. Um, we only got to that point because somebody complained and made a big deal because the prosecutors in that area weren't going to follow up on this case except for the fact that they got public pressure. We're here because there were, there were other things going on that had to be high profile. What about the non-high profile? What about the fact that there are indigenous brothers and sisters who are experiencing very similar things and in higher rates than black folks um, but are never even getting media attention? And so, you know, that's the challenge. Yes, we've got some precedents here, and you know, but do we have the change we're seeing or are we seeing the change in a way that's actually going to change behavior? I'm thinking systems might begin to change. It's going to take much longer for people's behaviors and attitudes. That's, you know, Don, to your earlier point about, you know, seeing, you know, waiting, wanting to see that policy change, you know, policies can address behavior. Policies may have stopped them from even pulling over Dante Wright. And we've actually seen some legislation in both in, in Baltimore and a few other places that have taken the, off the list certain reasons or causality for stoppages that can at least prevent those encounters. The policy changes that are being, that are happening in certain places and being proposed in others may stop the encounter, but it doesn't do the last thing that you just said, Don, because of how we're socialized, that black male equals danger. Right. Or indigenous male, indigenous person, person of color that looks like a certain way, that looks like your boyfriend you described in a previous segment, Lee, must automatically mean danger. And that overrides the logical mind. We're, we're being testing this again because accidental fire hasn't been addressed yet. And we're about to have to deal with that in the case in L.A. Uh, with the young girl who was in the dressing room who got hit by a stray bullet from an officer trying to chase down somebody else. I truly believe what attorney Ellison said, you know, there's there's a but there's there's more than one tragedy here. Of course, nothing will restore Brother Dante's life. You know, everybody, I believe, at the end of the day, owes their family a coming home. And there's two people who aren't coming home whole. I hope in 2022 we don't have to go through another one of these cases. That's something I can absolutely get behind. On a more positive note on here, right, we have seen uh, that new uh, new numbers are starting to come in of folks who are interested in going into law enforcement to change it from the inside out. We have seen um, more and more people of color, more and more women, more and more indigenous folks um, are, are thinking about other alternative ways of how we seek justice, keep peace, and, um, and do justice in our various communities. And that is something I'm ex really excited about. Since Lou's ain't here, I figure I got to do the positive note thing. <laughs> Thank you. We'll sign off for the last time in 2021. This has been a special bonus segment of Counter Stories discussing the verdict of the Kimberly Potter trial. Have a good rest of your year, and we look forward to 2022. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.